You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Eggsy from the band Goldie Looking Chain, a.k.a. real person John Rutledge. Uh, it's such a pleasure to talk to John. He's a really fun and excited and excitable, funny guy. Uh, and he's had an extraordinary life story from uh, starting off making little raps in his mate's uh, sitting room to uh, achieving an, an sort of incredible level of success, becoming viral before being viral was a thing, um, with this rap group, Goldie Looking Chain. Now, if you've not heard of them, uh, they had some uh, chart-topping success in the UK. And I suppose you could call them, I don't know, I mean, I think they're a sort of a precursor to people like Lonely Island, who describe themselves as fake rap. Uh, I don't know uh, whether the chain would call themselves that exactly, but we will talk about um, the difference, exactly how real they are, we'll talk about the, the world they inhabit and how the I think the beginnings of that band were steeped in a love of the sort of the inter song skits in rap groups from De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising and more. So we're, we're going to talk a lot about those. We're going to talk about a little bit later about The Unexplainers, uh, which is John's uh, podcast and soon to be TV series uh, with Mike Bubbins, uh, long held aloft as a, a noble hero of comedy on this podcast. If you've listened to Redacted, uh, you'll know why we love Bubbins so much. So there is, um, there's lots to talk about here. There's no extra content from this one. We've got an hour and a half for you and I basically couldn't decide, I didn't want to hide any of it away because it's all so interesting. It's a real refreshing change maybe from some of the, the, the stand-up guests that we've had recently and, uh, and their stories and processes. This is something very different, much sillier, and uh, I just wanted everyone to hear this. This is Eggsy. That's the, that's the aesthetic, isn't it? That's, that's kind of part of your... That's we've sort of started, but that's I suppose we have, yeah, 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 yeah. because that's part of your um, of your aesthetic, certainly in terms of the band. Is what did you say? You saw the toffee pops and you were like spirit of eighty eight. Totally. Get there. Yeah. Is that is that in the back of your mind all the time? Yeah, I, I, I think um, everybody likes to um, sort of reminisce, even if you don't even think about it. You you if you listen to talk radio. And if they're being really lazy on these talk radio, they always what sweets do you remember from the 80s? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They always do that, and it always ends up getting a massive response. You know, there is that there is that thing where you suddenly start talking about the past and you just can't stop, you know. Yeah. I think for us, there there was you know, people of, of my are we about the same age? I'm 42. Yeah, yeah, same age. There there is that 
just amazing time where everything was a lot simpler. Yes. This is what old people. This is how old people speak. <laughs> it is. This it is. is how old people speak. And you're wearing a lovely scarf. I mean, and I've scarf. got a nice jumper. And I've got a cardi on as well. <laughs> and, and the heating's on. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's just something amazing about about that. That's all that stuff from the past. You know, it's just. I don't know what it is, but we're but, of quite an, we're of quite a weird generation. I can't remember what we're called. We might be called Zennials. It's like not quite millennials, right? But it's it's a generation who remember who like who grew up with technology exploding. Yes. So like we're conversant with the internet. We don't need our children to help us use the internet. Yes. Yet not yet. Um, but we remember winding cassette tapes with a pencil. I made it. So I, we 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 are the generation that went from analog to digital, and yeah. everyone else is is digital from uh, now on. Totally. I ended up making a a, a show about cassette tapes for Radio Wales, mm. you know, mm. and um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Once you get into it, it's, it's because you forget about it. It all just disappears. And then you sort of see in a shop, a Walkman for 60 quid. You're like, come on, it, that, that uh, its peak would have been 15 quid after they'd done the initial, they cost a hundred, then they went down, you yeah. know, they've still got a big box of tapes upstairs, you know, and it's all there. And it's just, it's nice to sort of reminisce about it. You know, what was the first tape you ever bought? Now the first tape... I, I only know mine. It's probably not the first tape I bought, but yeah. I remember it came free with the first Walkman I ever had. What you got? From, what did you get? Uh, it was. This is incredible. It was an album called "The Return of Bruno" by actor Bruce, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah. yes, <laughs> the under the boardwalk. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, my, my, mine was the first record I bought, and I'm, I love this because it does make me sound cool. Was "Magic Number" by De La Soul? Oh yeah, which great. was really good because great. I didn't, I didn't like pop music. It was. I got two sisters. And for me, it was frilly cuffs, makeup and long fringes. And my sister's saying, let me do your hair like Phil Oakey or let me put makeup on you like a new romantic. Okay. And I was, I was like, it's, I just thought it was for girls. Yeah. I was just like, that's, that's all it is. And it's, it's not for me. Okay. And then a couple of things happened. I heard three tracks throughout sort of a period of time. Not a David Bowie fan. I, I like his hits, but mm. I don't. I don't know much about him mm-hmm. apart from he's got gammy eyes and, you know, he did quite well for himself. Um, but uh, Space Oddity, heard that on the radio and was like, what, what is this? Because it was just a man, I didn't know who he was, singing about going into space. Yeah. That didn't happen in songs. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. did not happen. It was all, uh, it was maybe a synth or it was just someone chanting three words over and over again. And it's like a little radio play, isn't it? It's like an, it's an immersive, that song is a really immersive totally. experience. Yeah. It's like you're in the, yeah. the capsule. Yeah. It's a headphone song. You put it on and it, it will just, boosh, you know, it, it takes, so that, that blew my mind. Um, Sex Machine by James Brown. Again, I was in the back of my dad's car. It came on Radio 2 or whatever. I was like, what, what, what is going on? <laughs> I don't, re- I don't really know what sex is, but it involves having no clothes on. Yeah. There's a man singing about a sex machine. Is it a giant metal block with a willy on the front? <laughs> I don't know. This is me- and just laughing at that. It was just, it was just amazing, you know. And and that that sort of hip hop started to happen, and you started to hear samples and stuff, and you'd hear a James Brown sample. I didn't know who James Brown was and I didn't know what the sample was, but I'd heard it there. Yeah. And then things like De La Soul came along and it was like, oh, I get it now. This music's really good. Completely different. And that, that first De La Soul album, Three Feet High and Rising. Have you ever yeah, 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 definitely. It's, it's, like, it's like a Monty Python sketch. It's amazing because it is just loads of stuff happening at once. There's little weird talky bits. Yes. 
There's, did they did they invent skits? Were people doing intertrack skits? Because those were the first ones I heard. Yeah, th- that was in Leamington Spark. Oh, that's it. <laughs> a lot of people were were skits were happening, but a lot of the time it would just be like uh, someone saying something, iced tea, you know, just doing a bit of swearing or whatever. Yeah. But they just took it to Prince Paul was the producer, took it to the next level and just made this whole. I was just remember listening to it, going, "This is really good." And the the vinyl. When you when you pull out the sleeve, inside of the sleeve, obviously in a tape cassette, you unfold it all, you get the little words and stuff. It was like a big comic strip with loads of pictures and there's loads of crazy oh, artwork amazing. and stuff in there. Okay. And it, I, that just, that that really turned me on to it. Oh, I, I like, remember, I had the tape. Yeah, because the they tape had the same, they had it, yeah. they folded out. Yeah, yeah. oh God. It all folded out. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And I just remember listening to it going, this is, this is, this is just really good. I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. There's weird voices. There's, there's, not one bloke doing a song. There's three blokes, and there are other blokes and a couple of women coming in doing stuff. Yeah. And then you started to realise it was like there was Tribe Called Quest, and there was there was the whole there was just, everything was happening with it. And and you start to listen to other other acts from there, and and it just it's just brilliant, absolutely and, brilliant. And that again, like Space Oddity, that has a kind of immersive quality whereby you feel like you're in the cartoon. Yeah, totally. which is a really goldy looking chain thing. Yeah, it's all about like I love. Um, audio stuff radio stuff because it's the easiest way to just open your mind up to this fucking crazy world you know because you can tv's great and movies are great and, and i love them but you are limited when you watch them to whoever's made it what yeah. they've decided to put on the screen but you listen to the radio and your mind goes nuts Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah, on the yeah, radio yeah. one of your kids. Yeah, of course. Everyone's got what Marvin looked like yeah, in their head yeah. for them. Like and, their the, version of and it's just brilliant because it just completely envelops you and you just go into a completely different world. And that's, that's what's amazing, the escapism. That, that is, wow. I mean, yeah. if you get to make something, you can go really far with it. You have an idea of, you know, this audio stuff now. Yeah. You have an idea of, of what it looks like in your mind and you're, you're making it. And then what's even more fascinating is when people you've never met before listen to that they'll give you their interpretation that's nuts yeah that's, that's people's brains that's nuts okay that's crazy okay. well let, let's talk about that phenomenon in the in the context of the band whereby you're putting stuff out there and people are responding to it because one of the things about about let's for people listening to this oh, in another country have... let's talk about yeah, only, only, only six people know yeah, the band yeah. <laughs> so yeah maybe we should start at the beginning somewhere yeah okay yeah yeah um so there's this band called Goldie Looking Chain that I was one of the uh, founding fathers of. This makes it sound very majestic. <laughs> let's let's talk about it with reverence. That's fine. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll refer to the myself as the artist. Mm. Um, shall I go right back to the beginning? Go on. Okay. This is where you throw in a hip hop song. Let's take it back, <laughs> way back. Um, okay, right. So we were all friends um, through skateboarding music, school, or college, right? And um, have you been to Newport? I've, I was about to say I've been through Newport. Okay. But I, have, I believe I have that. gigged in Newport. Okay, yeah. right. So so Newport is... <clears throat> it's been struggling for quite a long time. It, it's, uh, it can be quite rough, but it's fucking amazing, right? A lot of interesting characters there, just a lot of fascinating people so we grew up there and there's this sort of pub circuit you do on a friday or a saturday night when you're 16 17 and a few sort of clubs or whatever and you go out drinking you get you get drunk and at the same time you're listening to your music you're doing whatever you do 
And we just started to get a bit bored and a bit disillusioned with going to the pub all the time. So Reese, who produces all the beats, um, he started, got a set of decks, started just mixing tunes and stuff, making mixtapes, things like that. Then he got a 909, a Roland 909, or it was a groove box, right? Which is technical stuff. It's an electronic machine that makes music, Uh right? He started putting stuff together and we'd go around to his house and he'd have a couple of cans, smoke a couple of fags or whatever you do when you're 16. And uh, he started putting tunes together and then I just started saying stupid stuff over the top. You know, okay. like, touch my face, touch my face over and over again. <laughs> the, the, the three blind mice school of, of do, 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 you know, just really yeah, basic yeah, yeah. stuff. And he's like, shut up, you're fucking ruining it. <laughs> and this went on. And then he got a crappy mic. And I remember he made this tune. He's, he's really into making um, outside of the band. He makes, he's made his own piano albums. Yes, I've heard, I've heard some of those tracks. And he's made guitar albums. He, he, music production is his thing, right? And he made this really f- floaty, haunting piece of electronic music. And this was about 97, something, maybe before, about 97, 96, 97. And I just started whispering, Jackson, Jackson, I feel like Michael Jackson over the top. <laughs> I like, what are you doing? I was like, let's, let's try and record it. Let's try and record it. So we tried to, but I couldn't even get it in time to the music. Which made it fucking hilarious because like, listen, listen, r- rewind it, listen back to it again. It just sounds fucking terrible. So we started doing that and then started hooking up beats and then chucking a few things over the top and just saying stupid things. And because we loved hip hop, we were making references to it was Public Enemy, Run DMC, De La Soul, all that sort of stuff. And we had, we had sort of a song, you know, and then we did some more and we started to enjoy them and then we made an album not we didn't consciously say let's make an album now sure uh it was just what we were doing for fun and then another and you ma- were in your like early 20s since 97 you said something like 97 20 19 20 1920 something yeah, like that. Okay. yeah you know um and so it's all growing very slowly like this. And then a couple of the other boys would come around and say, try, try something on the mic. I can't do it. Well, I can't either. None of us can do it. That's why it's good. <laughs> so then we would get on there and do these really terrible, terrible things. And it was, it was just good. It was fun. And we kept doing it. And we made, before we got signed to, because we got signed to Atlantic mm-hmm. in 2001 or two, I can't even, it's all a blur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd made about six or seven albums before that. Okay. That we were putting onto tape and then we were giving to a mate to listen to and then it would spread and, and it just, it was viral before the internet. Yeah, you know? gotcha. Were you doing live shows or was it all just... No, we didn't, we didn't do live shows. We just okay. locked ourselves in a room and we'd just get battered until half past four in the morning and then go home. And, and let's just, look, before we... But- and I want to I want to stay in that moment, but we need for the for the sake of explaining of to people course, what yeah. then happened because only then, six people know. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's a lot more than that. But you became this phenomenon. You became if it I went mean, bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like Goldie Looking Chain is a household name. I got a gold disc out of it, which is that's mental. What's that all about? You know? Yeah, it went absolutely bonkers, absolutely crazy. Um, we we didn't do a gig. We hadn't done any gigs. <laughs> and then there was talk of doing gigs. So the Welsh Club, Club for back in Cardiff. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we're like, okay, let's let's try a gig, uh, and it just sold that. It was it was like you know those big bands, and you hear these legendary stories about we we did our first gig and hundreds of people turned up and people were exchanging hundred quid for a ticket outside when it only cost like eight quid for a ticket or whatever. Yeah. All that happened, and and there was a review in the press that said it was like the Cardiff paper that said something along the lines of. It's like a modern day version of The Clash or something like that, right? It was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is weird because we love making it and it's great fun doing a gig. All right, let's see what happens. And it just, people just took to it really, really quickly. People who don't like hip hop because of the funny side of it, you yeah. know? And then people took to the, the hip, because of the hip hop and the samples we were using. So you had a real mix of people and it was a, it still is although people are getting older now, a broad age range of people as well. Yes. There was like a 14-year-old who liked it because we said fuck 16 times in a row. But then there was someone who was getting an Eric B and Rakeem reference in there. And then there was someone else who was just like, I like your voices, they sound stupid. You know, so it, it just was this formula that would be quite hard to do if you sat down and said, make this, do it like that, do yeah. it like that. You know, And it, it is, it, it really is, it's like... Um... Like you said, viral pre-internet, viral yeah. before viral meant something. Yeah, totally. So who? So just to stay with that, um, with that initial period of you getting up, getting battered, mm. uh, and rapping. Mm. Did your character start to develop? When did you first give yourself names? Pretty early on. One of the early things we did was we came up. With, I forgot to tell you this. We came up with the name of the band before the band. Okay. Which was really good. Uh, That's great because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, including myself, will have like, like, oh, I remember like getting hammered at a party when I was 20, coming up with a name for a band, yeah, and yeah. then we never got read. Like it was a yeah. joke band we yeah. were going to do, but we knew we were never going to do it. Yeah, this is a, this is one of my favourite stories. Um, I was in Crosskeys College doing BTEC Media Studies, right? So I was. You see BTEC Media? You can make something Classic. <laughs> I, should, I should go and do a talk in a college. I should go and do a talk in a college. Um, that was 93 to 95. So when we were there, we had to do work experience, right? And there was a rumour that uh, the man who wrote the scripts for the Chuckle Brothers lived in Risker. Right? This was the rumour. And I wanted to get work experience with the man who wrote the scripts for the Chuckle Brothers. Fuck knows where this came from. Okay. There's, I don't, there's no truth in this. But okay. anyway, the guy who writes the scripts for the Chocolate Brothers lives in Risker. You can get work experience with him. That didn't happen. But I found this small company called CTV, Corporate Television, that by pure coincidence was in the street behind my house where I lived with my parents, right? Corporate Television made training videos for the workplace. Okay. Um, health and safety videos, short videos, pre, pre-digital, just all shot on VHS mm-hmm. or whatever. I got work experience there. And at the same time as doing the work experience, which was mainly buying fags for Jeff, the guy who ran it, and they were woodbine filterless. Or if you bought him filters, he'd snap the filter off and smoke them. It was either that or painting a door in the office, right? During that time, I had a project in in college that was make a short video insert for a news programme. So you had to find a local news story, Mm -hmm. source the people to interview, film it, edit it, hand it in, right? I'm running out of time. I'm doing work experience. I've got to hand it in. I, it's not going to happen. I said, he said, Jeff, after a couple of days of buying fags for him and painting the door, said, do you want to sort of 
sort of do anything because I haven't really done anything <laughs> work experience wise and as well I've got this project to do Jeff and um, I've got to create a fake news insert so he said okay let's let's try and do something so his secretary Julie we started talking she had this um, what's that thing a bracelet mm-hmm. that she got from a Christmas cracker that her um, child had given her right of Christmas so I've got an idea Let's make a news insert that Jeff has been digging in his garden and he's found this ancient Roman artefact. So Jeff pretended to be a man who had a garden. Julie pretended to be an expert in metallurgy from the University of Wales, right? right? And we got Jeff, did a few cutaways of him digging in his garden. I did a voiceover. 58-year-old Jeff Evans or whatever from Newport has found this. Did the interview with Jeff and there's a bit... It's fucking classic. (laughs) Jeff's there and he says, I was... Digging in the garden when I saw this goldy looking chain. <laughs> and I did it, handed it in, got my marks right. And then we just kept getting the video out. So I'd go around to my mate's house, we'd go get the video out, get the video out. We'd go look at this bit, and he'd say it, and we just, yeah. it was just, it just became a thing. We just kept saying it. <laughs> and, we, and, and then we were looking at the front of a record that was a top of the pops record. There was, they always have a woman in like a, uh, she's always in a swimming costume or whatever. You know what I mean? It's top of the pop 78. Yeah, yeah. Those compilation albums. And we said, Goldie Looking Chain, what about what about this? What if Goldie Looking Chain was a band? And we got these posters made that said, Goldie Looking Chain is coming soon, world tour. Then we got all the dates and we had like 35 world dates and then we just had cancelled next to all of them <laughs> and then just put them up on all the walls around town. <laughs> so that's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. We never got around to making the poster, but that was the birth of okay. the name. yeah. And then as we started doing it, hip hop obviously associated with, with the gold and the, the sure. everything, you know, so it just sort of fell into place there. And then, so we had a name. Okay. And then we just started doing it and it went viral and people were, you started hearing people talking about it and they were saying things like, have you heard this band? I heard this funny thing. And it was like, yeah, that's, that's my band. That's you, but you're not, you don't sound like the guy. Okay. Because people didn't. It's like the De La Soul album, or it's like Monty Python. It's it's a fucking crazy made-up thing. It's this world that you can go into, and when you're in it, you're in it, you know? And that that was what was fascinating. It was like, people are buying into this as much as I am. Because yeah. I, I mean, I will talk shit for ages, and I'll talk about really random stuff. And I fucking love it. And a lot of people are like, do you ever shut up? Do you ever shut up? What are you talking about? But other people were buying into this and people who were quite serious, the sort of people who you don't think would buy into that sort of thing, you know, or people who were a bit shifty, who might kick your head in if you spoke to them on the street normally. This thing was working and it was creating this like, wow, what's what's going on here? You know? at, at what point did you become Eggsy? Pretty early on. Was that, uh, was that, did that nickname predate the band or was that uh, a band identity? That was to do with a Belgian drug dealer when I lived in Watford. So I think it was... the guy was called Jean Benoit. Okay. Oh, this is such a fucking... Explaining this is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) This is just so fucking stupid, right? He's called Jean Benoit. He He was Belgian. I lived in a house with these guys who were good mates with him. He was a student who'd go off to... back to home. Mm -hmm. His Belgian friends. And he'd come back with all these ecstasy tablets, thousands of these ecstasy tablets that he'd stuff in the speakers of the back of his car, smuggle them back into the UK, given to these people I live with and they would sell them on. I, I, I don't touch chemicals, right? No problem with them. Mm-hmm. But I was just sat there like watching all this going, 
fucking ass is... <laughs> didn't expect this you know so but it was all very funny the whole thing was just nuts so on one occasion this guy bought these things back they all got mashed up and wet and formed a giant paste and then my friend bought them off of him and then just basically ate them all didn't sell any <laughs> fucking ridiculous right anyway um, so this guy Jean Benoit now if you look in the back of a sexy magazine right you can see that these items called Benoit balls okay so if he was called Jean Benoit I just adapted that and turned mine into John Benoit Balls, yeah, aka Mr. Love Eggs. The way in hip hop, you've got to have sure, a stupid sure, name sure. and you've got yeah. to have an alter ego. Yeah. It was just thinking of the most stupid thing you can, and you, when you get a bit loose off a few cans or yeah. a couple of fags, your imagination can go fucking mental, and you can go anywhere with it. Those conversations yeah. you have when you're drunk in a pub or when you're with your, your mates or whatever, they're the most creative times. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who don't even make stuff or have an inclination to record something or make a TV show or write a book or whatever, they come up with some fucking brilliant things. And you're like, you should do something with that. But people don't know where to go with it or what to do with it or they forget about it yeah. after the event. Yeah. There is something that, I mean, that really permeates everything that I associate with GLC mm. is um, when you look at kind of the top trumps or the, the amount of nicknames and alter egos everyone it has. It's relentless, yeah. If you, if you look on there, I've spent a lot of time this morning trying to work out which member of GLC is which name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's great is people, there are people who, who know it all quite well and they know everybody. Because again, if you don't know anything about the band, if you come to see a full show, there's a minimum of eight of us on stage. Yeah, um, We did a show with De La Soul a few years ago. And they're like, man, you're like the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. <laughs> that was fucking great. That was fucking great. <laughs> One of the things I remember from the mythos of Goldie Looking Chain is that if you want to be in the band, mm. I don't know if I'm misremembering this, you've got the, three r- things. the rules are you've got to ask yeah. and you've got to have your own draw. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to draw, fags and Rizzler. Three yeah. things, three things. But it's that easy. Like anyone can get involved. We've always had this open door policy where if you want to bring something to the table, bring it to the table. Yeah. You know? so, it's, so when I saw you live at Festival, you had, there must have been, I, mean, I felt like there were 12, 15 people on stage. Wait, no. Some of them just marching up and yeah, down. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the foot soldiers, they're the high energy dancers. And they're, yeah, they're just like, do you want to come and do the show? Yeah, no problem. You know, so there's, there's certain key people that will always come. Some people don't. Dave Cocaine, who is on a song that a lot of people love called Flat Press. Uh, yeah. called, sorry, called um, Soap Bar. Yeah. Because he's MC Flat Press. Dave is from Chepstow originally, has lived in Bristol for years. He just came along, recorded that song. And then intermittently, we see him once every three to four years. Between two to four years, he'll turn. We did a show in Bristol just before Christmas. Dave came, great uh-huh. stuff. So there's this whole. Th- you just just come in, do what you're going to do you're in the band, and do it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> which is which is really because again that that whole thing of it's not been organised by a grown up. It's not been. Um, there are no specific rules. Just throw it all at the wall and then hone it afterwards. So this is Eggsy, a.k.a. John. I'm enormously grateful to him for coming on the show and really, really enjoyed hanging out with him, as I think you can hear. Um, It's a a real pleasure seeing someone who has managed to make... A lot of people in comedy, I guess, they've made their hobby their job. Um, But I feel like that rings even more true for Eggsy, (laughs) starting off just rapping and making stuff up with his best mate and then somehow, against all the odds, spinning that into this ludicrous 
creative lifestyle that's taken him all over the place and uh, and even now gets to play i mean we we talk a little bit about some of the um uh, some of the the live Goldie Looking Chain experience, you get a, a little sense of it from YouTube, but I almost wouldn't look because if you get the chance to see them live, it, it's just an absolutely extraordinary show. And I think um, it's so kind of deliberately untogether, you know, this idea of moving into space, um, that uh, it, they're great fun. You, it's a really good refresher to look up on YouTube and go, oh, yeah, that's what it was like. But um, I would love it if your first experience of them was live uh, or indeed uh, listening to their albums on Spotify or wherever else you can find them. Um, and uh, they've got uh, loads and loads and loads of uh, video content on YouTube as well of like uh, pre-recorded music videos. Check all that stuff out. A couple of bits and bobs. Thank you to everyone who um, reacted very warmly to last week's post-amble about my uh, my son's third birthday. The Boutros is now three years old and had an incredible uh, uh, an incredible party and I got all misty-eyed about it on last week's post amble so if you're in need of a lift apparently you can go back and listen to that lots of people have been in touch to say that it uh, put a spring in the step of people lots of people got in touch to tell me they don't have kids but it made them feel like they had kids which is a, a glorious thing so thank you to all of you Um, What must we briefly talk about? Of course, the Insiders Club. No extra content from this episode, but do go along to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders uh, if you would like to keep abreast of all of the inside track, if you'd like to... uh uh, to join a community of uh, like-minded hyper nerds, uh, share interesting comedy chat like we do, like as if we we're in an office together, pinging emails across on this uh, workspace app that we use, um, and of course to access the private podcast with ad-free episodes. So you can get this episode ad-free and uh, the recent ones as well, um, all on the private podcast at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders whilst supporting the show. Uh, my own stand-up comedy tour show, End Of, is coming to somewhere near you. If you're in Maidenhead, Falmouth, Cheltenham, Crawley, Reading, Leamington, Salisbury, Oxford, Bromsgrove, Plymouth, or indeed Soho, uh, between February and June this year, and uh, we're adding dates, as I said, uh, for the the autumn leg of that tour, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so check back here. You can't, I mean, you know, don't listen to this bit again, but sort of broadly follow me at ComComPod uh, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, comedianscomedian.com slash tour for all those ticket links. Thank you to everyone that's been enjoying their T-shirts. Um, lots of people have expressed an interest now that we've seen how many lovely people have posted in the Facebook group about their uh, their excellent fuck'em T-shirts. <laughs> so uh, if you'd like to petition me to do another print run of those, um, then if enough people get in touch, then I'll do some more. Um, I've got a few extras, a few spares, which I've sort of kept to sell on tour. So if you're coming to the tour show, you can get one of them for cheap. Right, that's that. Uh, let's get back to this, shall we? Come on, uh, this is Exit. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I speak to a lot of people who... Um who as a comic like you're you're funny socially or you have funny ideas or you want to express yourself in a funny way Mm. and you put a lot of work into those ideas and it becomes 
very early on, it becomes a job because you're striving to get the gig over the next hundred people that could maybe get the gig. Yeah. Um, and it feels like what you're describing from the, from the kind of the, the very early experience of the band, mm. it was just mates having a laugh, making Chaos. yourself laugh. Yeah. And, and I think that is like we can all uh, uh, relate to that experience of just being in the pub with your friends. Here's a silly idea. Someone tops it. Someone tops it. Yeah. You bother writing it down. Yeah. And then you walk into a room and record it. That's suddenly. Yeah. So did, did it ever feel like work? Did elements of it ever feel like? Um, the touring was crazy. Um, and like I said, there's a minimum of eight people. So when we signed to Atlantic, it went from doing this one gig to going, uh, you're going on tour now and you're going to live on a tour bus for X amount of weeks. After you've done that, you're going to go to another country and you're going to go and do it in another country and you're going to go do it in another country. And then that was interesting because I think everybody had their own individual not so much breakdowns, but breakdowns, if you know what I mean. It it just went into this this rolling ball where you 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 essentially become institutionalized. You're doing it all the time. Yeah. And then you're in the bubble. And that is weird. You never get off the bus, apocalypse now. You know, never yeah. get off the boat, never get off the boat, never get off the bus, never get off the you've got a day off and you're back home. Don't go home. Yeah. Just stay on the bus. <laughs> just stay on the bus, man. Because what, what's gonna happen if you go home? you you would talk about uh, we're going back home. We've got day off. I'm going home. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to sleep all day. I'm going to um, eat a healthy meal, get back up, be right as rain, get back on the bus and go away for a couple of weeks or whatever. The reality was you get off the bus, all your clothes smell like a form of diesel oil for some reason. And then suddenly you're out on the street and the bus is gone and there's people just walking past and you're like, fuck, the, the bubbles, this is yeah. I'm going home. You get home, you close the door and it's like, right, I haven't got a... I don't what I don't what am I doing okay um, I'll go to bed early I can't sleep At nine o'clock be getting ready to go on stage now probably be having a couple of drinks maybe some vodka <sighs> um, okay I don't know what to do and you're completely lost so you're like I'm, I'm coming back I'm going and you, you get back on it you know um, so you're just constantly torn and you're tired you're always tired but there's this sort of two to three hour window in the evening where you suddenly wake up to do the show few drinks beforehand, get a bit loose, do the show. And like any form of exercise, as soon as you do exercise, you feel amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm wide that's awake. A, that's a really interesting analogy. Yeah, it's, totally, totally. It's totally true. It's not, just, it's not just the adrenaline and the show itself and the audience yeah. and your friends being there. It's literally exercise. Yeah, it's yeah. exercise. <laughs> it's, just exercise. it's just moving around fast. If, if someone's listening to this now, they're at home just sitting in a sofa, just get up and run around in a circle really fast for half an hour you won't listen to the rest of this because you'll go off and do something, you know. <laughs> it's just... And so there's this crazy sort of ball of of just this thing, this relentless thing that was going on. And um, tiring, but I don't sort of look at it as being... There are... I mean, there's loads of footage on, on the internet of before because I've got this thing, oh, shit, we've got to do a gig tonight. And I always have this saying, wouldn't it be good now if they had a power cut and they sent us back to the hotel and we could just watch DVDs in bed? And it's become like a mantra. I'll say that before every gig. Because there is a... There's that little... There's that, always that bit of fear before a show and there's always the nerves and there's always like... If it did get cancelled, great. But you know that as soon as you get on stage, it's, it's fine. And it's, it's really good, you know. Um, but yeah, work-wise, I think there was a bit where when we got dropped from the label, there was this, what are we going to do now? 
Um, so we were like, let's make another album. And that, that album was a, that was a real... Was that Asbo? That was Asbo for Asbo Life, for yeah. Life, yeah. Don't know what was happening with that. It, it's not particularly funny. It's got some quite good beats in it, but everybody, you, you, if you listen to that album, which it's not worth listening to, uh, but if you listen to that album, you can hear that it is like we've been dropped from the label. We don't know what to do next. Um, and, and it was all a bit like, uh, how do, what, what do we do now? Do we make something funny because we make comedy or do we make music because we were signed to a label and they, they pushed us as a band? They, yeah. they didn't get the comedy side of it as much as they should have. Really? So they, they toured you like a serious band? Yeah, there was, well, there was a guy called Corder Marshall at the label and he's, he's known in music circles. And Corder was great. He, he was the guy who signed us and he, he was tuned into it, knew exactly what was happening and mm-hmm. how it worked. But as these things work, someone moves in, someone a year later takes the job and they, he moved off somewhere else into Warner Brothers or whatever. Um, and the new guy that came in was, yeah, okay, do another album because we'd sold enough to, you know, you have your, mm-hmm. you sell enough, you do another album, you do another album. Did the other album and you could tell straight away he was just like, um, just do the tour. Um, yeah, that, that's fine. He didn't get it. And a lot, sure. a lot of people in the industry didn't get it. Which is again part of what it is. It should confuse, mm-hmm. but on a sort of business level, maybe try and you know. I mean, there were loads of things coming in. People were saying you should do a film, you should do a TV show, you should do this, you should do that. But it was loads of people with loads of different ideas, and that that was the thing where it made it a bit like, what do we want to do, and and what are we being told to do, and then what what decisions do we make from there? You know, what so. was the the hierarchy of decision making within the band? Was any one person in charge? Was it like you and Reese? Would you would anyone have the final say if someone said let's do this? Would there be anyone that had the power to go let's not do that? When it came to recording stuff, Reese is like he'll get something in his head and he's like I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So what you do is you go okay wait six months to a year and then go, do you want to do this? He goes, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's good, you know. So you have to work with people's, the ebb and flow of people, sure. you know. I mean, that sounds like something the secret leader of the band would say. Yeah, oh, no, 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 I, I, no, no, not at all, not at all. I, I like to see it as, me and Reese were the ones who started it up. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is everybody goes in and gives it a go, but some of the, sometimes it's like people in the band will go, we haven't done anything for ages. Let's do something. It's like, have you got any ideas? And then they sort of go, oh, no. You know, so it's like, it's all there, but yeah. you've just got to t- take the opportunity and go and, and, and throw yourself in and do it. And sometimes there are things where people say, let's do this, and it is a shit idea. And it'd be like, well, don't do that. But you have, like anything, you have to have the shit stuff to get to mm-hmm. the good stuff. You know? So, so. The, the, that kind of model of the band, like this chaotic group of friends, like a sort of central core, and yeah. then people coming and going around it. Yeah. Does that feel now, in retrospect, like it was inherently limited? Like, could could you could you have could you envisage a different path that the band have taken, whereby you were you either were managed or you self managed in such a way that you could have kept going touring? Do you well, mean to like to as, as in a way that you wouldn't have been dropped? Can you imagine a version of the GLC that didn't get dropped that actually managed to stay coherent, or was that? just a necessary part of what the band was and that kind of chaos? Um, I could imagine so. I can make something up in my mind, but the way I look at it is it's happened and that's what it is. You you know, you can't look back on stuff and sort of go, I want to change this or it should have been like this or it should have been like that. We shouldn't have spent this money on that or blah, blah, blah. 
it's what it is. It's just this organic thing that that started like quite small in the bedroom, went fucking crazy. Interestingly enough, you know, we're still gigging now. That blows my mind. People come and they're like, I saw you. There was, there was a, funny enough, I mean, we've been doing it for, so was it like 2001 or whatever that we did our first gig? I don't know why I'm asking you. <laughs> um, I've done some research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but at one point we did a gig about eight years into it and this bloke's, yeah, I saw you 10 years ago, mate. It's brilliant. Fucking 10 years ago. I, just, I can't believe it's been 10. We're like, it's eight years. I, I, okay, thanks, you know. But now people are coming up and saying, I saw you 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. That's fucking... That's crazy, you know, and we, we're doing the shows or whatever, you know, so all of what we've been through is, it now exists, mm. you know, it now exists and, and you do a show and people come to the shows and you see people who know the words to the songs or they come and they put the leisure wear on and, you know, so it's, it's just this thing that's just come out of, I always wanted to make funny stuff, wanted to make funny films or, or like some comedy of some form and it, the quickest channel to make funny stuff was through the music. Yeah. I'm not a musician. You know, quite often if you do, do an interview for a local paper or you do a thing in the radio or the TV, people will say, oh, rapper or musician. I'm like, just a bloke who makes funny stuff. I, I can't sing. I had trumpet lessons when I was a kid and I've got a guitar upstairs that I can do a few chords on. I'm not a musician or, or you know, just a bloke who makes funny stuff that just happened to be that stuff was through the medium of music and ended up being are, are you a rapper? You are a rapper, right? I do rapping, but any proper rapper would probably say, well done for giving it a go. <laughs> uh, but, but you've been rapping live for 15 years. Yeah, yeah, I have. Like you've yeah, 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 totally. Um, but I don't, I don't see myself as a rapper. It's very nice. I've met quite a few rappers over the years who've said that was good, really, because what's interesting is a lot of hip hop is a big sausage party. It's loads of men in a room just going, you know, and, and it's just like, it's just a, it's like rugby boys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is, this is the thing. Whereas with our shows, anybody can come, anyone can laugh at it. And a lot of mixed people come mm-hmm. completely different spectrums of society come and it's a real party atmosphere. So we've done shows with, serious rappers and they said that was that was a really good show you really blew it up there and, it, and it's like because it's it just takes it to that next level like like I like skateboarding I liked hip hop I like still do um, all those alternative things because they weren't rugby boys and it wasn't an organised thing like a sport or a team or whatever sure things that weren't those organised they weren't organised by a grown up they weren't they weren't someone else's rules imposed on you it was, it was punk you know you could just do whatever you wanted to do but I learn pretty quickly that even those alternative things have their groups. Skateboarders are basically, a lot of them are just rugby lads, but they can do better tricks on a skateboard. You know, people who like hip hop, a lot of them are really like, this is my gang, this is my circle, sure. you can't come into this. You see that a lot in comedy, whereby yeah. comedy is a, it's a group of people who were bullied at school yeah. who now get a bit of power. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, um, guys, I, I thought we were into this like, because we hated the bullies, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we've turned into the bullies. What's happened? You know, and that's not what it should be. So, again, doing the band was a, it's your own thing. People can come and join in and people can take what they want from it, whether they think it's, it is rapping and it's someone who's adequate at rapping on stage or they, like I said, like the beats or they like the comedy or they just like seeing 
a load of badly organised men walking up and down on a stage in brightly coloured clothes. And then sometimes people say, it's really good, who does the choreography? <laughs> that, that, the way it looks shit is... Yeah, I mean, we, we, it's, it's the football rule, move into space. That's the thing. When you're on stage, find your space, move into space. Uh, that's interesting to hear. There are, there is some kind of rule. There are, yeah, it. there are some, yeah. Because quite often we'll bring people on stage. The core of us know what we're doing. Go up the front to do your raps. Go to the back when you're not doing your raps, right? But sometimes we'll bring someone on stage who hasn't done it before or hasn't done it for a long time. What do I do? I'm scared. Just remember move into space and just keep moving like a shark just keep just keep moving you know and that's, that's and, it, yeah. and something as well that you I particularly remember from the gig I saw at Festival which really blew me away because I, I had I, you know I had uh, the Manifesto album like the, you know I had yeah. that whenever that came out yeah so the Manifesto was, was the first album we did with a proper sleeve and it was like a yeah. properly made CD before before we had um, a record deal and okay. a lot of the oh, tunes. that was pre-record deal. That was Manifesto. pre-record deal. Okay. Man- okay. I haven't even got a copy of the manifesto. <laughs> so the manifesto was the first properly made CD with a sleeve and everything. Yeah, a lot of the tracks from that went on to our first album, Greatest Hits, because Greatest Hits we called it because the six albums we'd done previously. Yeah, I, I didn't realise that until yeah. I looked into it. I thought that was just a funny title yeah. for the first well, album. Well, it was yeah, a yeah. funny title, but to us, to, to all the people who'd been listening to it before it had any media attention. Yeah. We just chose all the tracks that people liked the most. Sure. And that was our first album was The Greatest Hits, which also yeah. is quite funny because the fact it's called Greatest Hits. And it's so funny to kind of just, like, I'm, I, I can remember a lot of, I know a lot of the words to it. That's you know I mean? If I think about it, I can't, I can't think of any of them. If we go on stage, yeah. I can do it. Then it'll just tumble out. But if you ask me now, I'm like, oh, fuck, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. so funny to think of, of that, that kind of being created from a bunch of mates. I remember, I remember when I first heard it, mm. I, re- I definitely this is going to make me seem very naive. I don't know how old I was, but I remember thinking, I mean, it's not real, is it? That's it's what's great real. about it. it. It has this incredible kind of, I mean, like, you can't just be a bunch of posh guys pretending to talk about soap bar, because you know what soap bar yeah. is. Yeah. So you obviously know the things, but like, how real is it? Yeah. Is there like... And it's that, it's Monty Python. It's that whole thing of like, what the fuck is going on? There are real people on the screen, but they're doing weird walks and there's fucking animations of yeah. snakes coming in or whatever. Was, you know? was there any pushback from the sort of people that you were kind of taking off? Um, so Newport's got quite a, quite a you know, a, a reputation. Um, but we always thought, you know, okay, we'll do this stuff because a lot of stuff is based on people we know or mates or things that have happened to us you just you just comic book it up a bit and and you you can you like doing comedy you know if you funny story happens to you on a train you elaborate on it for the actual piece you're doing you know um people just people got it and that's that's what's great about it there was no one there was one guy who walked into a pub and i think he was called something like willie willie thorne or something it wasn't willie thorne because obviously he's a snooker player and he walked into a pub and he said, I wrote all the fucking lyrics to that song. Where's Eggsy? I'm going to fucking kill him. He didn't. I don't know who he was. That's weird. But the fact that a man was that angry that he said he wrote all the lyrics. <laughs> I mean, I think he was a little bit damaged on alcohol. That was a bit weird. But people just just took to it and were like, that's, that's cool. And one of, the, one of the things is it really champions 
Because you, you are kind of taking off a particular lifestyle, but you are kind of championing it as well. What it's yeah. really about We're all is from Newport. friendship, yeah. getting hammered. Yeah. It's kind of about community. Yeah, really, totally. It? It, Even if the songs are Your Mother's Got a Penis. Yeah, yeah. That's about men slagging each other off. Totally. And, yeah. that, that came from a pub. Because there's, there's blokes in a pub arguing. You know what it's like when a fight's about to kick off. It all goes a bit weird and it's like, what the fuck is happening here? This is what's great about it. And that the best com- comeback the guy could say is your mother's got... It's like, you're supposed to be terrifying someone at this point. You're supposed to be intimidating. I mean, it's just like, oh, fucking hell. And what's great about it, it's a classic rap diss. You know, yeah. those, those, it's always the far side, your mother, that track, you know. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That's just brilliant, you know, and it's trying to make something that you aspire to be as good as the far side's your mother. And, and you hear this bloke say this fucking stupid thing, and it's like, it's shit, but it's just funny. Yeah, and you either get the reference if you know all that hip-hop reference about the diss and, and you know, your mama jokes and all that sort of stuff, great. But if not, you're just hearing what a bloke said in a pub that was the most pathetic thing you could say at being intimidated <laughs> to someone in a pub. It's just, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. But that's the thing, Newport is, there was this whole thing going on there where TJ's Nightclub, which was fucking amazing because it was all the alternative music. Um, there wasn't a lot if you wanted to be doing something slightly different. I always think of it as a, a really shit New York because you had like, there were some buildings with fire escapes on and on a sunny day, almost like New York. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you had TJ's nightclub where all the alternative bands were playing, you know, and everybody who was a little bit different or a little bit weird went there, you know, so you saw everything you could possibly see going mm. on in there. That was really good. And through that, you got to know people who knew people who knew people and there were some really shifty fuckers in there. There were some really nice people in there. And you saw this underbelly of of like anywhere where you live you know you saw this this not necessarily horrible underbelly but a different a different world you know so it was just documenting that that stuff that was was happening without sort of going now let's document this socially guys because we want this to make sure that is an accurate representation it was just like this thing happened it's a cartoon version of the things you see around yeah yeah and that's the best way to live your life is to to see the world as it's quite boring real life you know, it's just grey and it's concrete and you do whatever you do and that's it. But if you... I think I'm quite lucky because I've got that part in my brain that just lets me see it all as a fucking crazy, you know. And it's really good. And it's really good seeing other people let go and see the world like that as well. A lot of people are like that anyway. A lot of people aren't. But sometimes they drop into it and go, this is fucking mental. And even the people who aren't, I think, get a lot... Or people who are less inclined yeah. to suddenly see the world as a cartoon. Yeah. And I think that's... They make up the majority of audiences, don't they? Because they love... It's a great escape. A, a champion go, I, I tell you what the world's like, it's like this. Yeah. I certainly feel like that, both as a, a maker of comedy and someone who enjoys it yeah. voraciously. Yeah. When I see someone, you know, Billy Connolly or something, sum up an experience, yeah. you go, yeah, the world is like yeah. that. It's yeah. not all great. And, it's, yeah. Yeah. and, yeah. and you say, oh, this is really good. It's, yeah, it's like, it's like eating a load of bread and then having a toffee pop. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, <laughs> fucking hell, that was good. They both work. They both work, but one of them's really good, you know. So, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, I love being able to make stuff and being able to do something where you're suddenly you've got nothing and then you've got this thing you've made and it's like wow yeah. that's the, for me is the best bit what, what what did you individually like did everyone just bring their own raps was there kind of like an overarching did anyone go all right let's have you know right i suppose i'm struggling to imagine a group of say four to eight men in a yeah. room yeah. going right now i'm going to do this bit yeah do you know i mean are you kind of bringing in stuff on paper what does it actually look like when, yes. you, were, when you were recording so <laughs> The early days were the best days because you had 
computer with a turntable next to it and some some beats being lifted off and sampled. And so Reese would be doing that. And he'd, be, he'd play a hook and go, oh, fuck, that's, that's really... Br- Hang on a minute, I've got this, I've got this. And you would literally say three lines. You wouldn't be writing it down. You would just say them into the microphone in a fucking stupid voice, in a microphone that was held together by sellotape. And on the early recordings, you can hear it crunching in, in your hand. Um, and then, obviously, the tune's going to be three minutes long, so you would just say the same thing over again and just trigger it. Like like old sc- real old-school hip-hop, you know, when samplers were, were brand new and people were just like, yo, yeah, yo, 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 yo. Yeah, 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 okay. So... That that happened, and then it was like, well, I can do some more to this. I've written a bit. I'm going to write something down, and it, it would just start to build from there, you know. So then once you've got sort of 4, 12, 16 lines or whatever, once you've got that backbone, then someone else can pick up on that and go, oh, I get it. I get what this tune is now. Okay. I can throw something on here now, you know. So so sometimes Your Mother's Got a Penis came really quickly because it was, it was, the sample came on. We've been talking about that guy. It was just something, in our content, and I just started saying it, and I straight away had had the chorus there you know what I mean it's like fuck chuck that in right hang on a minute excitedly had a wee and I usually know when you're making something if it's going to be good if you have excitedly have to have a wee <laughs> right so I excitedly okay. had a wee because you're like you're busy. yeah I gotta you do it I gotta suddenly realise you yeah. need a wee <laughs> I gotta do it I gotta do it I gotta do it so you go and have a wee and then, and then just write it all down write it all down write it all down three chunks chuck it in record it and it, it was done you know um, so other st- guns don't kill people I was working at QVC, the shopping channel at the time, and I was walking from the canteen back to the office I was supposed to be walking in, and I just... The, the famous quote is, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Yeah. And I just said to myself, guns don't kill people, rappers do, and then that could be good. That that There's something in that, because there's that... Hip-hop gets blamed for all of this stuff. Music always gets blamed for, you know... Someone listens to a death metal record, they go and shoot up a school or whatever. You know, sure. it's, it's not the music; it's something bigger than that. You, you know, that's. But it, and it was going. That was really kind of topical as well. That was really. Yeah. That was like a, yeah. I remember when that happened. Yeah. It felt like oh, that's. It was almost like that tune was a joke being told in pubs. It was like yeah. being, you know, when a disaster happens and people pass texts around. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, and um, that that's cool. And then Reese hooked up this. The original beat was a different beat. Then he got that sample together and it just, he's fucking great at picking samples out. Really good. And he's, he's you know, so chucked it in there, threw it in, chucked my verse on. Then I think he did his and then you've got it then. So then the others around you can go, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wicked. Um, I, I know I know where I'm going with this now. And suddenly it just happens and it, it did really well, you know. So. And, and what, what do, because I was just thinking that um, one, two, your face, my shoe. Yeah, my name's you know, Mike Mulls and I'm coming, coming through. through. Yeah. So Mike's kind of thing. So I was like, given the different characters within it, what do you think each individual personality mm. brings to it or brought to it? Uh, because I feel like in the, you, you seem like the most experienced frontman in the live shows. We're seeing on live and in... Yeah, I, because I ended up because Reese was busy hooking up the beats and I was there with him most of the time, I'd end up writing quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I accidentally became the guy who had to do all the interviews, not all of them, but ended up doing more interviews or, or having to open the show or do, you know, yeah, quite a lot of stuff on there. Just accidentally sort of did that because you don't think about it when you're making it. You're just like, this is good. This is good. Let's do this. Let's do this one. We've got this one, you know? Um, but everybody just, 
just Adam Adam is really good although most of his raps always end up being about sex all the time which is fine but it's quite funny because you'll be sat in the studio we were recording something a couple of days ago and he'll, he'll do a couple of raps and say oh that's pretty good and he ends up talking about having sex with someone and it's like yeah. okay yeah <laughs> but it's, that's, that's what's great about it everyone's got their own you know Mike Mike is Billy is fucking amazing because Billy can sit in a room for ages have you got anything yet Bill? No, I got got a couple, but I'm, I'm not sure. Not, and then about after about six hours, he'll just come up with four or eight really good lines, and that's it. Yeah, but they're really good. They're really, really good. You know what I mean? So it's like it's not about slamming out loads of stuff for the sake of it. It's just when it comes out, and everybody adds a little bit of color. And that's one thing we noticed from the band is you meet people who are fans, and they're like, "Where's Mike? I like his stuff best." Or, yeah, you know, sure. Where's Adam? I like his stuff best. So that's that's. Do you ever write for each other, or does anyone only ever say the words they've written? Um, Reese writes quite a lot of stuff for the other boys, or he has done in the past. I usually just write stuff myself. Wrote quite a bit of stuff for Maggot stuff. He always had a lot of problems. <laughs> had a lot of problems with writing. He went, "Should we do it? We do it? We do a track with you?" Okay. Um, okay. So this is what it'll be. We've got this rough idea. Okay. Just start. Just whatever comes out of your head. Just put it together. It doesn't have to be good. Just like a fucking nursery rhyme, just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sit there, should we have a couple of cans? Yeah. Uh, and, you know... So, it's hard. It's a, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable place, yeah, so even in yeah. front of your mates. Yeah, yeah. And it's... But I think that's... Because in the early days, you would sit there and it was like, it was your turn to get on the mic. And it was like, this is fucking stupid. This looks fucking stupid. But that's part of the fun of it, is like, this is fucking... I'm not... I, I didn't grow up in New York in the 70s. I didn't go to the block parties. I don't know any rappers... I've, I, at that point, had never been to America in my life. I'm doing something that is a, a 100% American thing that had spread to Britain. And there were things, you know, London Posse in, in, in Britain. And, and there was a hip hop scene. Tim Westwood was, was, there's a great documentary on the BBC iPlayer at the moment from about 1987. Tim Westwood had done about the hip hop scene in, in Britain at the time. You had to be in London for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm this this white kid in Wales who's got... The only contact I've got is, is the records I, I've heard, you know. So it's like if the world was destroyed tomorrow and space um, arch, no, architects, uh, archaeologists came down and they found, like, one bit of pottery and half a photo of Donald Trump, Yeah, they then go back and go, let's recreate the Earth as to what we think it is. And then they do it and go, this is what we think the Earth looked like. And if you went to see it, you go, well, it's almost... <laughs> I mean, yeah, we did have buildings, but they didn't have fish scales on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it's it's like making something and not quite knowing. And that's, that's what's great when someone has no idea. They want to do something and they go and do it and it doesn't come out the way it should, but who's to tell them what it should be you know it should just that's a really good point I love that idea Mm. I always love that about comedy and and art in general who's to tell you what it should be and I think there is so much particularly in comedy when you start there are competitions that you know then there is inherent competitiveness in order to uh, the word for that is competition (laughs) in order to uh, to succeed but at the end of the day I love the work of people who are succeeding or failing by their own just do Standard. it, yeah. Just do it because th- th- that's it's it's like that that rugby boy thing. You don't have to adhere to the rules. People might not like it, but if you've really enjoyed making that thing and you're proud of it, you might go and play it to someone or ask them to read it or make them watch it or whatever. Yeah, and they might just go, "Yeah, that's all right," and walk off. 
And that could be a bit, oh, all right, fair enough. But the best bit is you fucking made it out of nowhere. What's the, what's the Alan Moore, you know, the comic yeah, book writer? Yeah, yeah. And he talks about magic and how he's a magician and all this sort of stuff. And he's, he's not sort of pulling rabbits out of hats and stuff. But his concept of magic is there's nothing there in the first place. Yeah. And you've just made you've this created thing. a thing that's, that's now fucking, in the world. That's nuts. It's great. That is nuts. <laughs> that is just fucking nuts. Yeah. Before before we move off uh, uh, the chain and onto uh, the unexplainers, yes. I want to talk to you about yeah. as well. Before we do that, it's, I just want to. It's interesting you say you would sometimes write stuff for Maggot because yeah. I feel like of Maggot's almost the most recognisable personality. Yes. It's almost like his character is fleshed out the most. Yes, I mean purely. I mean, in, in, he's got quite a weird voice when he raps. Totally, um, but also. His his stuff is often a description of himself yeah. as this kind of horrific, creepy monster. Yes. And that's very different to, my name's Mike Balls and I'm coming through, yeah, or totally. you know, stuff about sex, or stuff that yeah. I'm wearing, stuff about what I'm smoking. Yeah. His is kind of like, he's the grotesque. Yeah, the Dick the Turpin character. Yeah, exactly, this, yeah, 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 the Spring yeah. Hill Jack thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Is, do you think that's because you wrote it, you wrote some of those things for him, or did that come from him? We've known each other for... Since Cross Keys College, 93, right? Okay. For the first year, he called me Scott. I'd Scott? How's he going, Scott? And he kept looking over my shoulder like, Who, what? Yeah, I'm fine. Who's Scott? Um, and he's the hip-hop Penelope Keith. He looks a bit like Penelope Keith. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's got these... There's a reference going to be lost on anyone else. Yeah, again, again. <laughs> it's all about the niche, guys. Yeah, <laughs> only those, those... I mean, there is a thing called the internet where you can go and look at some of these things now. Uh, so please, if you are listening to this in another country, Google this if you've got the time. Or the, <laughs> the hip-hop Penelope Keith. Yeah, the hip-hop Penelope Keith, yeah. So he's got this... All these amazing intricacies to his personality. And with your mates, you get to know them more and more as time goes on. And you apply these... His surname is Major. So Margaret, he was known as. Marjorie, Marge. And then Maggie. And then Maggot. And then on one occasion in the winter, he had a big white puffer jacket. <laughs> and he had it on. And I was with someone. They said, why do you call him Maggot? Is it because his puffer jacket makes him look like a giant maggot? And that just added to it. It was like, well, naturally it does. Yeah, you know? yeah. And this, this again, wasn't thinking, we're doing the band, we're doing this, we're making no, this. No, that's just a classic evolution of a nickname among mates. Yeah, it's yeah. just that thing. And um, uh, I know exactly what he's like. And so we were like, let's, let's, he just has this great look. He just has this fucking amazing look, you know? So we're like, give him the Dick Turpin vibe and get into all that. So writing that was really good fun because it was like, you can paint that picture of all the stuff that, that they're in jokes to us. Yeah. But when you put it into a tune, like we're saying, it goes out there and somebody else interprets, interprets it in a very different way, but they get a picture in their mind and they, they see something and it works, you know, it just, it just spans off and, you know, so yeah, but all those things, yeah, lovely. It's so rich, isn't it? It's great. At one point I did want him to do a Louis Fourteenth powdered wig and have like a beauty spot and the, and the, the white face makeup and a big sort of whalebone corset thing, but he, he couldn't take it that far. And he, he's actually, he's got a proper job now, right? Yeah, um, he, yeah he's working for a, like, like a, a finance. Finance, yeah, yeah, like a finance thing, which is, again, the nice thing is come and go as and when you want. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you, he did the, the Big Brother thing. Yes, yeah. I think that was quite hard work for him because... Yeah. With the band, there's eight of us, so you're all kind of like this amorphous blob, you know, and then doing that Big Brother thing, 
That was a weird choice. Yeah. I remember at the time yeah. Yeah. thinking, that, is that like a bid for individual stardom? Like yeah. What was... I, I guess it was just like, I think they'd asked us the year before and maybe the year before that. You know, like they send out a thing going, do you want it? Would you be interested? And yeah. I remember sort of, no, I don't really, I've never wanted to. It's weird because for me personally, if you get on TV or whatever, you, you don't need to be on TV. And a lot of young people are like, if you're on TV, that's it. You're, you're famous, yeah. whatever. You made something, you're on TV for a reason, whether it's shit or not. You've kind of done something yeah. and it's part of that thing, you know. Big Brother is very much, you're just on TV for the sake of it, which it can be really bad for you, you know. Um, yeah, so they'd asked us a couple of times, um, said no, said no the next year and then they asked again and each, I, just, I think we were on a bus at the time and the message came through. So yeah, all right, I'll do it cool go and go and try it out man and he had to then sit in a house for however long it was with like dennis rodman and <laughs> it's crazy but he got through it i think i think it might have and he's been... a finance guy so he probably banked the money and it's, yeah well uh, hopefully, you know I mean? hopefully yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's it, exactly you know i mean he's it's it's a it's a tricky one to do because i think when he came out a lot more people knew him because he'd been on that primetime TV show. And I think that was quite hard work. Because I've, I've... Oh, because then he's at a different level to the rest of the band. Yeah. So his experience is different, which yeah. must be quite divisive. Yeah. And it's, it's like, that, that was quite hard for him, because I think he was then like, fucking hell, I didn't realise it was... When you're in the band, it's all like, someone might know you, are you that guy from that yeah. band? And then people go... He was walking down the street, and there was a guy digging a hole in the road. And he's going, worm! Worm! <laughs> worm! And he turned around, and he's like, what, worm? From the... Yeah, okay, you know. Whereas with us, it was like, you still get it now. And I, I always find it a bit weird if you're out, and I'm, I imagine if you're fucking Brad Pitt or someone like that, right. some superstar. If you're out, sometimes someone will come up to you and go, are you the guy from that thing? And you go, yeah, that's cool. But sometimes you can have someone who's a bit pissed or they're a bit passive aggressive or they're just full on aggressive. And it's, that's weird. Yeah. People, all right, you cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Not all the time, but you get that and it's like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, it wrong foots you, doesn't it? Because yeah. you have no idea what their agenda is. Do, do I call you a cunt back or do <laughs> I, what do I do here? You know, so that's, that's weird. But then you meet people who are just like, all right, how's it going? We were walking down the street a little while ago, me and the missus, and a bloke said, are you, are you the guy from that, from Goldberg Channel? I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I just listened to the new album. It's, it's good. And I was like, oh, you know, that's nice, yeah. you know. But I don't know what to do in those situations where I'm, I don't think about the band all the time, you know. But then you'll meet someone who's... And for him, after doing Big Brother, it must have just been loads of people yeah. just going, wah, 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 yeah, you know? yeah. So that can be quite hard, I think. Did, did, it, did it sustain you at the time, just thinking of the, the amount of people in the band, when you're touring, mm. I'm used to the idea, I think we're all used to the idea that you, blow, you have a, a hit record, you yeah. blow up, you get put out on tour, and you're like, where's the money? And they go, oh, it's all right, we're looking after the money for yeah, you. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you sort of went through a version of that, yeah. but also way more people to divide it between. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So you, you, none of us are going to be millionaires off of this shit, you know what I yeah. mean? But it, it's, it's always, it kept itself going. We do gigs now, and you, as long as you can get enough money to pay for the gig and the transport and to get everyone there and give everyone a bit of cash, you, you can still yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. And like I said, the, the fact is still... Happening. <laughs> That's nuts. Does everyone... Sh- you've got this really kind of... Um, it's a very... Uh, uh, what's the word? Like a kind of an attractive sort of excitement about it and a naivety about it. Mm. You know, you're very much the, oh, the you- kind of... I can't believe this is still... What a great thing. Yeah. Did the rest of the boys feel, feel the same? Uh, everybody- is there any sense of like... Do, do any of you feel like... Oh, man, this was... 
we, we, we've got to get big, we've got to have another hit. Graham, who came into the band shortly after Two Hats left, um, uh, I love Graham to bits, he wasn't there for the first initial wave. But he'll come in and go, I've got a great idea for a song. It's going to get us up there, back to the top again. This is it. It's like, I I don't feel an urge. I don't want to be number one. I don't... Do you know what I mean? Okay. It's making it is the... is That's the gold. That's the fucking... You know, that's what it is, you know. So Graham Sullivan's Graham has a couple of drinks with with the, it would be with Adam on the back of a, a bus when we're going somewhere we go, let's make an old school banger he always says let's make an old school banger and it'll be fucking brilliant it'll be like tearing it'll be drum and bass and it'll be all like it'd be it'll be wicked yeah it doesn't really work like that <laughs> you know what I mean? but but that's but that's you know everyone's got their own I'm sure if you sat down with all of us everyone would have a completely different look and it's mm. and a, you know on how it all works and but, it, um, is, is there enough in the in the palette of mm. Newport multiplied by yeah. the rap world, yeah. you know, is there enough to to keep going? Are there enough things still to talk about? Well, it, it it depends. I mean, there is that Newport thing where you just do those raps, but then if you look at because everything is so fragmented now, we we more or less do an album every every year. We didn't do one last year, but there's always stuff coming out. One of the a few years old now. We did the wait. Have you heard the Waitrose rap? Yeah. Yeah. I really like the Waitrose rap because it's just a song about Waitrose. You know, it's 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 not necessarily Newport. And a lot of the things that we do, you find people in other small cities and towns can refer to anyway, you know. But it, it, the songs can be really weird or they can be just, it can be a tune about smoking weed on a Thursday or whatever, mm. you know. Whatever, whatever comes out, whatever's got a good catchy hook on it, you know. There's a tune called Big Shitty that we did that the main reason it got done was because it's it's a lift of uh, hot in here. Okay. It's getting hot in here. So, right, uh, mixed with um, ODB's... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, fuck, I can't, my mind is fucked. Um, what's it called? Hey, 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 baby, I've got your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. so we lifted the the vocal style from those two tracks with some samples that are similar. The reason it got made is because I did a 28-second fart that I recorded. (laughs) Or maybe it's 32 seconds, I can't remember. But we sampled that, and then Big Shitty came about, and with that, there's this character that sounds a bit like Old Dirty Bastard, but it's not. It's it's a mixture of me and Reese doing this thing. And, and, you know, so these things just come from fucking anywhere, you know. Um, And that's... That's the joy of it. It's just this. So Bubbins. Yes. Is, uh, although he's not been on the show yet. But MB, MB he's, Games, um, as I like to call it. <laughs> Mikey Bubbins, yeah. Um, he's, uh, that's nice. He's kind of full, kind of getting into that cartoon. Oh, world oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, Numerous nicknames. Yeah, that's that. it. Uh, yeah, the, the Mike, Mike Bubbins, a.k.a. MB Games. <laughs> he, he's much beloved of um, me and, by extension, this podcast, because yeah. he did one of the most noble things I've ever heard a comedian do. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it on the show before. It came up in a live show once, which is uh, at the Mac Festival. Um, he did a show where he'd only sold he was like up against some massive TV act he'd only sold one ticket was this to Nick Helm? to Nick Helm yes. yeah you heard the yes, story yes, yes. yes. it's so, lovely it's so lovely. the only audience member is Nick Helm and Bobbins does the entire hour to him yeah. at full tilt miming other members of the audience to do crowd work with lovely. I mean I wish obviously I couldn't have been there wouldn't have happened it wouldn't have happened <laughs> but we, I'd love to have seen that we, we were on tour and we were in 
Scandinavia and we did this show in Sweden and three people turned up uh, two girls who had no idea what it was and we were like get get a chair we, like it was there's a you know it's a stage there's a fucking dance floor or whatever we just pulled up two chairs said get, get in the chairs we'll do this the guys are like, do you want to pull the show and we're like no let's fucking do it <laughs> two girls and a guy at the back who we knew from Cardiff we hadn't seen him for 10 years fucking brilliant absolutely and he was the same guy who years before had gone up the woods with a mate with a shotgun shooting trees and a, a light aircraft had flown over and they fired at the aircraft and then ran off. They, to this day, they don't know what happened. Oh, Jesus I Christ. Don't know why, I don't know if that was part of the reason why he was living in Sweden or not now. Oh, but, my God. Uh, that, was, that was one of the... I love those ones, though. They're fucking great because you can do a show... Like, the biggest one we did was, like, 70,000 people. At the, there was a tsunami event in okay. the, the stadium in Cardiff. Okay. All these bands played. There's all this fucking crazy stuff going on. We, we played that. It was amazing. But the best bit was... At the end, they did this big sort of Jules Holland-style jam. I think Jules Holland was there. Uh-huh. Eric Clapton's on stage playing the guitar. There's all these fucking superstars. Billy Webb is on stage with a can of red stripe, shit-faced out of his mind. And there's a photograph <laughs> of him stood next to Eric Clapton, and Eric Clapton's like, what the... Who's what? <laughs> I love all that. That's what's great about it. You've managed to worm your way into yeah. proper culture. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, God, yeah. Some funny things have happened. But yeah. So when, when did you meet MB Games? I met Mike. So I do... Um, occasionally they let me onto Radio Wales to, to present on the radio because it's the radio so that's where you would present on the radio and uh, BBC Radio Wales has started doing um, occasionally standing in on, on the Rod Gilbert show Okay. so sometimes with Rod sometimes with whoever else is in Chris Corcoran sometimes I've been doing it for quite a long time now and one day they did a, an outside broadcast in Cardiff because it was I think it was Wales versus New Zealand in the rugby. As I mentioned before, I know nothing about rugby. It's not my thing, right? But they have these outdoor broadcasts and they get me in on a Saturday morning on the show. Great game. All the shorts. And <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and, and Mike was in as a guest as well. He f- loves rugby. XPE teacher or games mm-hmm. teacher or whatever you want to call it. Loves rugby. So he came in and uh, just sort of got on straight away, you know. Um, it was just, just fun. Just really good fun. And we started talking... And uh, I guess we exchanged telephone numbers, you know, and then Mike had this idea for a, a sitcom based on a caravan park and, and Elvis, because he's obsessed with Elvis mm-hmm. as well. And then between us and a company called um, Zipline Media made this pilot. Um, and she said, do you want to get involved with that? I was like, yeah, cool. He had this idea for this guy called Aid, who was his, he's the Elvis impersonator. I'm his best mate, Aid. We live in a caravan together. We went and filmed it, and it, it just worked really well. And then we were like, oh, this is, this is, this is good. You know, and you, you're just mates then, you know. Um, and when you mates with someone, working with them is really easy. Yeah. It's not like someone said, that guy's good, that guy will work well with that. Go and do something, which... It could be it could just might not work you know um so we just started doing stuff together and then um zipline the guys who did all the hard work getting that all shot and edited and everything we're talking to them about ideas and then they had this they were like there was talk of a, a short film or a, a comedy thing about two storm chasers you know, these guys who go out in these oh, yeah, heavily sure. armoured vehicles sure, sure, and they sure. go to the, the eye of a hurricane or whatever, you know, and they, they're like, we've got all the research kit and stuff. So we we definitely got this sort of chemistry when we do stuff together of like, I'm the stupid one and Mike is the angry one. 
who's as stupid but thinks he's right and I'm just living in this fucking crazy which I love in real life anyway living in this fucking crazy dream world so we we have this good vibe when we do stuff together they are this talking about this idea about these storm chasers and we're like yeah that's, that sounds like a good thing and then pitch season came up at Radio Wales and we were talking more about this idea of doing something and I think they said what about a sort of paranormal investigation sort of show this is what the guys at Zipline were talking to us about. And like, that's, that sounds good. And then we all sat down together, uh, Nathan, Reese, and me and Mike, and um, started f- f- putting ideas together. And the, sort of the Unexplainers was born. And then this thing happened, and they said, yeah, go and do a, do a pilot. Or I think they just... Maybe they said, go and do four shows, or did we do the pilot? I can't remember. Um... Um, we did it. We did the first one about ghosts. The idea being, these are real people. These are real events. These are real things that have happened that you cannot explain, whether they're mysteries or myths or ancient stories that just don't make any sense. We speak to them, but we are in the characters of Mike and John, heightened versions of ourselves. That, again, like the GLC, throws this this show into this element where people who listen to it go, so do you, how much of that is scripted? Sure, are you, yes. Are you, what, how are you making that up? Is that guy you spoke to who, who saw that spaceship in the sky, is he an actor, you know? But it's all real. But yes. we're, just, we're just trying to make us... There, there was a thing in the 90s where a lot of TV, you have things like Dennis Pennis and a lot of these sorts mm-hmm. of things where you'd have a character going into an environment and he, he would... They would quite, be quite nasty to people. And everyone was laughing at it, you know, the guy's gone in pretending... Ali G did it really well. Yeah. And he would normally take the piss out of people who sort of deserved it. Mm-hmm. But there was a big thing of just people being a bit horrible to people on TV. So the unexplainers is that thing where we go into the real world, but we want to look like the complete dickheads, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the people we're talking to, they will have a scientist explaining something. We'll have someone who saw something, you know, and you can do that, oh, that guy's in that case. yeah. But what's the point in doing that? Yeah, know? sure. And I love all this. I love the mystery, the intrigue. I'm fascinated with all of that. I have been since I was a kid. So getting to meet these people and learning stuff about these things that I've been obsessed with for years and doing it in a really stupid way that turns it all into a comic book. I fucking love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. It's so great. I think I dipped into it a year or two ago yeah. and, and I didn't. I, did, I kind of like heard a little excerpt from it, which I thought was really funny, but it didn't include any of the live interview stuff. Right. So when I listened to it again more recently, I was uh, I was listening to the one about the triangular lights in the sky. Yeah, Night of the oh, Triangles over yeah. Swansea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. over Swansea. That's a classic it. case. It's a classic cr- I mean, case. it really, it's so fun. And but the but the element of oh, they're meeting the real people yeah. and respecting the real people and letting themselves be the dickheads. I yeah. think that's that's a really really nice. Um, aspect to it and it's great hearing Bubbins tell you off and it's great hearing you you do that thing I guess it's improvised or improvised it's all improv the... yeah 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 but you you do that thing I used to really like on the Adam and Joe show uh, uh, Joe Cornish and Adam Buxton you yeah. can you can hear them improvising to the end of the breath yeah I mean you can hear them genuinely surprising themselves yeah, with what they come yeah. up with and it's funny watching a, a Goldie Looking Chain video this morning there was a bit where, or something on the on the on your your YouTube channel. I think it was you and Reese, and you were doing like m- maybe twelve years ago, some sort of piece to camera, some sort of telly thing, right? Where you're talking to a doctor, or it's someone who's 
it's like a it's like a two minute clip and yeah. you're doing some fitness kind of yes training and it really reminded me of the unexplainers because there was a bit with you saying to this real guy yeah. at a computer going so what about if you had a human made entirely out of corned beef yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, that, yeah. That's, and it's exactly that I went yeah. oh, that's the I mean again a big part of the band improvisation you, you without realising it work this sort of muscle and, and you have this thing where you're quite good at it yeah without, without sounding like I'm fucking good at this I'm just and I really enjoy that that whole idea of just going off on one you know Mike in, in reality when we go off to record this stuff Quite often we're travelling for quite a long time. There's a lot of North Wales or whatever. And the journeys are great. We're not recording any of the stuff. Honestly, that's a separate podcast. That's yeah. a Patreon podcast yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, that's it, you know. But that's, 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 that's the fun of it, is just taking it to the next level and, and just... I like that stuff in real life. I hate that thing in real life where... I don't know, you're talking to a bank manager or you're talking to someone who's doing something serious. Because in, I don't know if it's anyone else, but inside my head, when someone starts saying stuff, inside your head, it's going... <laughs> and you just want to talk about a slug with arms or something. Do you know what I mean? It's just, that's, that's fun. That's really good fun. You know, so to be able to do this is there's a structure to make something where you can do that. And again, it goes out there. And I'm... I made it brilliant. That's really good. But it seems to get a response and people tune into it, which is, that's great. You know, it's really, really good. So yeah, we're, we're trying to, I think we've done four series for the radio. It's, we own the rights to it so we can podcast it afterwards. That's great. So that's, so you, that's, a, that's yeah. a really great way to do it. Yeah. So you make it for the radio. Yeah. And then yeah. it's yours. And it's ours. Great. And then with the podcast which is the Unexplainers Extra, we do extra bonus stuff. So there's bits of just Mike and I chatting about stuff. Yeah. Case studies of the paranormal, which again, if you listen to any of these paranormal podcasts, a lot of them are quite well researched and they're quite serious. What I'll do is I'll make up cases and then try and sell them to Mike as if they're real and he won't fucking have any of it, you know? So there's the episode where we meet people and we see real cases and we deal with all this stuff. There's the mini bonus podcast things and they, you know, that's all really cool. And um, I, they've just let us make another series for the radio, which we're starting at the moment. So we're trying to find case studies for weird mm-hmm. things. And then they've let us make it for TV as well, which is really oh, exciting. Oh, come on. Yeah, so that's nice. Um, When's that happen? Have you shot that already? We shot it all. Okay. They gave us three half hours Um and we've shot it all. It's all been cut. It's all been... What's been really nice... <laughs> it's, been, like it's all been cut. Yeah, it's all been cut. It's all on the fucking floor. That's done. That's done. Um, yeah, did it for them. Did it for BBC Wales. We've... Obviously, when you make something and you've got the grown-ups involved, mm-hmm. there is that chance of going, it's really good, but could you make it a bit more like Antiques Roadshow? Or, you know, where they... But they've been great. They've, they've seen it and they liked really good. They haven't made us make any major changes. Time-wise, it's like anything. We could have put loads and loads and loads more stuff in, but you're constrained to half an hour, so, yeah. you know, there's there's stuff we'd like to have put in, but we couldn't. And that, I think, is March or April later this year. Um, and I do, it'll go out on BBC Wales. I don't know if it'll go on to Big Boy Wales. I guess it'll... Big Boy TV, Big yeah. Boy BBC. Um and then I guess it'll be on the iPlayer or whatever. Um, I can't say too much about it um, because I don't want to give too much away. But sure. if you've heard the show, 
expect that with pitches. Um, it's, I'm really happy with it. Mike's really happy with it. Really excited by it. And it's really nice to be doing something, much as I love the band, it's really nice to do something that's not the band and, yeah. and you get the chance to make something else that's a, a different discipline again. You know, There's still the madness in there, but it's just swapping it around and it's nice. People, You don't have to know about the band to know about the Unexplainers sure. and, and vice versa. So, you know, that's... That's great. You know. And and so you're John Rutledge in that. Yes. You're not you're John Rutledge brackets, aka. AKA, AKA, AKA so that's part of like a sort of a staged, it's like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's just stupid. It's just stupid, you know, because people are like, what is that? Oh, it was a guy who had a song in the charts over fifteen years ago. <laughs> you know, but it's I quite like that stupidity, you know. So you've referred a couple of times, well, three times since we've been talking to the grown-ups. Yes, the grown-ups. I think that's quite an interesting kind of insight into how you view the world. Oh, like, yeah. Do you feel like a little boy still? I think eighty percent of men are kids, and they know it, and they still accept. They do. Oh, they want to be kids. I think a lot of women as well. A lot of people. It's it's just there's an element of it can be very um, grey life can be very grey and it can be quite boring you know but I just I've got quite a lot of nervous energy which makes you quite childlike anyway you know so that that is a not I'm not so purposely going I want to talk about robots today I just end up doing stuff like that you know it's just that's what it is and then you get the the grown ups and you get people who are who are very good at being sensible and that's what they do and that's what you probably should do but uh it's where your brain's wired, I suppose. Yeah. Where, well, where does the nervous energy come from? Is that that suggests? I know I'm obviously familiar with the phrase nervous energy. That suggests there's something to be nervous about. Like, is there? Does it come from a, a, a kind of a, an? I, I guess. Don't know what? What is it? I, I don't actually know, but but possibly um, responsibility or the real world. You know what I mean? You you can't really. Maybe it's my diet. I don't know. But okay. but there's that. I've always been sort of like that. So I don't know any different to that, if you know what I mean. Are you happy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, there's nothing really bad going on, you know. I live here with my missus now. She's great. So she's she's amplified it. For people who don't know, we're recording in my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not posh studio or anything. But she's, yeah, she's amazing because that's just, everything's just fallen in really well there. She still likes me, which is good, you know. So that's that's brilliant. I'm getting to make some things which is amazing you always want to sort of strive to get to the next bit and with what I do and I guess with what you do as well unless you're like Ricky Gervais or someone that you don't know what the security is in any of it you know so that's that's the thing that makes you think oh fucking oh shit oh, oh fuck you know there's there's that that element but I guess as a lot of people say life isn't about being happy all the time it's about finding the happy bits you if you're constantly happy you've got to take a lot of drugs and that's going to go down really quickly when you stop, you know? So, but the good thing with it is, is like the nice things come along and that's everything sorted, you know, that's what's good about it. My missus is really into, the garden looks a bit sparse at the moment, but she's into all the plants and nature and stuff, which is really nice because I like going out walking as well. These are totally unrock and roll things, but that's great. And having someone to do it with that is equally on a par with you, although she's, it's more sensible and has a proper nine to five. So she, she's the responsible one, but equally as uh, silly as me when they're... I suppose, I suppose listeners to this will get the impression, the same as I have, mm. that you would be... You're, that you're happy regardless of how successful you are. 
because you like making stuff. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I just wish that it was the glory days of the 80s when people got paid shitloads of money for doing <laughs> this stuff. Whenever, when it wasn't everyone making stuff oh. across all forms there of was, media. There was a guy talking to me the other day about, uh, it was quite a while ago, it was an older guy at the BBC saying he, years ago they used to get a soft shoe allowance. So when they were in the studios, you know, you, you, you get money to buy trainers so that you didn't make noise when you... That shit doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's again, like with the... Um, with the the record label, when we got signed, it was just as record labels were fucking up. Because they don't sign bands for millions of pounds now. When they signed us, they signed us for a lot of money. And obviously it all goes out to press and travel and go so around you don't the get the money. It's no, not wages, no, is it? No, yeah. but, but, but it was interesting to get signed for that because now I, I guess bands get signed for 20 grand. Yeah. I don't know, you know. But imagine if you do what you do now just a little bit further back in time, but then would it turn you into a complete bastard? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it's a funny one because you could get it all and just suddenly turn into a bellend because that's, that's that classic morality tale, isn't it? You know, these people, they make loads of money and they turn into complete bellends. Yeah. I don't know. I'm willing to give it a go. If someone <laughs> wants to give me... There is supposed to be that thing, isn't there, whereby like, you win the lottery and actually, the, statistically, it's going to make you unhappy. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I've always been quite a... Um, I've never been a very extreme person. You know, if I drink, I'll have a couple of pints, but then I'll go home. You know what I mean? I've never gotten into... I've smoked jazz, yeah, but I've never gotten into the whole chemical scene or whatever. Uh-huh. I've never been very excessive. I don't particularly like having stuff, you know? I don't want to have... Like, it's really nice. My house is nice. It's massive, both bedrooms. <laughs> but but um, it's it's like so. I don't know. I don't think I would. But some people, you can see, you can tell by the way people drink. You know what I mean? I think you go out with someone and they might be your best mate, but they'll slam nine pints in five minutes, and you're like, if you won the lottery, you'd be dead in six. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Totally. And that's 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 the thing, you know. But um, it would be nice to to just sort of have that level where you would just be like, don't have to worry about anything. And that's, yeah. you know, it's roll along that. But, you know, that's... Maybe that level doesn't even exist. Yeah, I think the more... The grass is always greener on the other side, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and that, I, think, some... I think the more money you have... I mean, you almost need someone to write some rap about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think there has to be... I'm sure I was reading somewhere, some Guardian article, that, that like, you get to a certain amount of money that makes you basically comfortable yeah. provided nothing fucks up. yeah. And anything on top of that doesn't make you any happier on no. top of that because actually, you know, if you think if you're proper wealthy, then you've got to safeguard your wealth. Yeah. I don't currently have that problem. Yeah, <laughs> I know, no problem for me. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, it's um, it's a weird one, but I think yeah, happiness comes from the. It's not the stuff, you know, and it's not. And I think some people are, are constantly like, I've I've got to find happiness. I've got to find happiness, and a lot of people do that through fucking leasing a fucking Mercedes Benz and and mm. buying a house that's six times too big for them. You're not going to find it that way. You have to find whatever it is. If you're good at sport, do the sport until your legs are knackered. Mm. Then find another avenue off of the experience you've got from that sport. I don't know, uh, writing about sport in the local paper or whatever, you know. If you can find the thing that gives you that, that buzz, great. I think a lot of people get lost and or stuck and that's a, that's a bad place to be, you know. Because imagine if you're stuck somewhere doing something you really don't like. Yeah, and that's that's that not fair. Jesus Christ! Yeah. I, comedy is so weird in that way because I, I like I'm really happy with the level of success that I have. I'm really grateful for the the yeah. moderate level of success I have. But I am working in an industry where there are bright stars 
streaking into the sky all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Like even just at festivals where we first met at, at Mac, you know, there are, yes. there are there's the people doing their nice little humble, hey, this is me, this is my audience, yeah. I'm having a great time. Yeah. And then there are the people going, I've just put on a third show because I've filled the arena again, you know. Yeah. And um, I suppose, do, do you ever suffer from that kind of competitiveness? Do you? Or not, not even competitiveness, but sort of envy. Do you ever sort of go... I think there's, there's always that element... a bite of the cherry. There's, there's, you always see that thing where so-and-so's got X amount of money for doing this or whatever. They, and it's natural to feel a bit of envy towards something, but then... I can't really be bothered. Do you know what I mean? You, you do feel a bit like that, but then it's like, I just want to... Just let me keep doing this. It'll... That'll be all right. You, you know what I mean? It's it's like there's human nature is you can't be one specific um, mindset all the time. It's always changing because otherwise you're a robot, which is something I'm fascinated by and I would quite like to be. But um, yeah, I you just you do what you've got to do, and if you're lucky enough to keep doing that, brilliant. And if it stops and you have to do something terrible, I'm sure that you can find other ways to bring that happiness in. Don't focus on the one thing all the time. That's really bad for you. You know, don't, that's, no, don't do that. Don't do that, Stu. <laughs> don't focus on the one thing. Get all the nice things and enjoy them all. And if you have little increments of good times everywhere, it'd be perfect. Then Viv Savage, Spinal Tap, have a good time all the time. That's the quote to live by, you know? Safe as fuck. <laughs> So thank you very much to Eggsy for, and, and indeed his partner for letting us record around their house. Um, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. What a joy. Look out for The Unexplainers. I can't wait for that TV series. It's such a great podcast. The Unexplainers Extra, you can find that, the podcast version. And um, Bubbins and Eggsy are just a, a really funny comedy pair. It's so much fun hearing Mike Bubbins get extraordinarily annoyed with this very, very exuberant, uh, daft uh, co-host. So uh, that's that's really good fun. So have a listen to that, and we eagerly await it turning up on TV. Um, and, uh, of course, find out as much as you can about Goldie Looking Chain. Uh, the album Greatest Hits is still an excellent album, and they really do paint a picture. I'm really struck with that thing that John said about... Um, uh, about the skits in between uh, raps on certain rap albums because it does feel like they've really recreated that. It feels like that whole album and all of those songs inhabit that uh, ridiculous cartoonish world. So look for Goldie Looking Chain. So that's all of that for now. Thank you to Nathan for editing and uploading the show. Thank you to Pete Dobbing, podcast consultant. Thanks to Rob Smelton for the music uh, and Jake Crossland for the logs. Thank you to everyone um, who's been in touch about the post as well. That did uh, uh, warm my heart. And thanks to everyone who's been subscribing uh, on comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show and get hold of all those extra treats. This episode ad-free and all episodes ad-free from now on uh, on the private podcast feed. And I tell you what, the, the Workspace app has been really good recently. We've been talking about... Um, uh, new guests to invite on the show and uh, there have been some really good strategy chats there's a particular comedian who is wonderful and I'm working on her to come on the show and I have been for a couple of years because she's got a very kind of you don't want to hear from me kind of thing and uh, uh, I, I was pestering her again and she said look it, she, tell me show me one episode 
which is send me a link to one episode which you think will convince me to do it. So then I had to go over to the, the Workspace app and discuss with all the other insiders and go, look, which one do we send her? And I got some great suggestions there. So thank you to everyone for being part of that little process. Fingers crossed, hopefully we will get an appearance from her before too long. Uh, coming up soon, some very exciting people who, of course, I don't like to mention until they're in the can. And, of course, uh, the... Oh, I'm doing Police Cops. That one's being recorded tomorrow. By the time you hear this, that will be uh, on the hard drive. And, of course, on the 23rd of March at 1pm at the Birmingham Podcast Festival. Uh, come along and see this incredible live pod. Looking forward to that very much. That's all for now uh, at ComComPod or, indeed, email me info at comedianscomedian.com. I'll chat I'll chat to you for a little a little post amble in just a second but for now thank you and I'll speak to you soon So by way of a post amble uh, today with all due respect to John and the amount of laughter and uh, and joy that has uh, poured forth in that uh, that interview that we've just heard I would like to just take a couple of minutes to reflect on the passing of Jeremy Hardy, who was um, one of my favourite comedians, a lovely man. I only met him the once um, when we were uh, we recorded a show together at the Soho Theatre. And if you look either just above or just below this episode in your feed, we've uh, re-released uh, with all the, the blurbs and the promo stripped out. We've just uh, re-released the whole of that audio from that hour um, so that you can listen to it and enjoy it. And the picture accompanying it shows me throwing back my head with laughter at something Jeremy was saying. I think that's a really lovely way to remember him. This is take two. As I tried to say something meaningful about Devon, I really lost my way. Um, it's such a peculiar thing to recognise that uh, that we have to simultaneously celebrate death and be unafraid of it and, and kind of warmly embrace it and go, there we go. It is, it's simply a, you know, it's not a... It's not a sort of creepy graveyard cobwebby thing as you grow up thinking it is, um, but it's it's just sort of a, a final breathing out, you know, it's a completion. And at the same time, we also recognise that we have to fight it and not go gentle into that good night. So um, so it's very weird. And I anyway, I was talking about it and it became exceptionally rambly, even by my very rambly standards. I don't quite know what I have to say other than that. I loved Jeremy's work. I enormously respected his passion and his, his politics and his activism. And um, there have been some very uh, uh, bittersweet and very funny things said about his death, which I think he would have liked. I mean, I think that's a, that's a beautiful way to go as a comedian, isn't it? When your very funny friends say very funny things about your life and death. That seems to be a, a wonderful way to celebrate someone. It's it's kind of um, it's interesting doing the podcast. The longer I mean, the plan is still to do this forever, and so far we've had to say goodbye to Sean Hughes and Barry Crimmins and now Jeremy, and um, and it, it's uh, it, it's very it's very strange. It's kind of because you're just recording conversations, not just these ones, anyone you know, telly when you see cast away. It's odd. There's there's something about the process of recording people which sort of traps them in amber. And by recording this myself, I'm constantly trapping myself in amber and and you know, creating a thing which presumably will outlive me. I mean, it has to outlive me, isn't it? Otherwise, I'm 
I, I, unless I turn out to be immortal, or the world ends and destroys both <laughs> both me and my legacy at the same time. Assuming neither of those things happen, um, uh, this you know this will outlive me. Isn't it a weird thing that we're all doing to to broadcast a thing and put it out there that will outlive us? Oof. Anyway, that's me beginning to lose my way again. The point I'm making is that uh, I, I love Jeremy's work, and he was one of those people whose bits of you know how bits of material stick in your head, and every time you see a bunch of flowers, you think bunch of flowers, and you remember the Eddie Izzard bit. I have a, a big one of those about the very concept of death, thanks to an early episode of. Jeremy Hardy Speaks to the Nation, which I used to uh, record from the radio on a C90 cassette. Um, and uh, one of them was how to stay alive for as long as you possibly can. Uh, the first, he, he divided his talk into three headings, the first of which was something like healthy eating, and the second two of which were stopping other people from killing you and clinging on to the will to live. And it's just funny to me and very sweet that I... That's one of those things that is innately Jeremy. And whenever I think of the concept of staying alive for as long as I possibly can, it's Jeremy and his comedy that I think of. So it is with uh, a heavy heart and also a very warm uh, glow that uh, that we say goodbye to Jeremy Hardy. And apologies for um, uh, to Eggsy <laughs> and everyone that was enjoying this otherwise very positive and uplifting thing. I hope that uh, that us remembering Jeremy in this way is similarly uplifting. Um, I, I think he would have approved of the joyful nonsense that Eggsy and everyone <laughs> everyone in, in the chain uh, put out. And I also wanted to mention two very lovely comments. I and mean, we had so much, so such an outpouring of uh, happy memories of Jeremy in the ComCom Facebook group. And Tom DL uh, posted a huge list from memory of all of his favourite Jeremy Hardy jokes, which is really sweet. So it's worth logging on to see those. And also in the Insiders Club, I just wanted to read uh, two comments on the, the, the Workspace app that people shared. Stephen said, it's almost worth believing in an afterlife just to imagine the show Jeremy Hardy and Linda Smith will now make. And David said, yes, I imagine the quality of the angelic choir has gone down significantly today. And both of those made me smile a great deal. So uh, thank you to everyone who has uh, who's been remembering and celebrating Jeremy Hardy's life. And uh, that will do for now. I'll speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.